Welcome to An Author Angle, the podcast series exploring creative expression and inspiration with authors, publishing professionals, and other creatives from all around the world. Listen up as host and publisher Ocean Reeve digs into the heart and heads of other creatives and the vision for their work. Be creative, be inspired, be published. An Author Angle, brought to you by Ocean Reeve Publishing. In this episode of An Author Angle, Ocean talks with Stacey Nottle, author of After the Flood and Breastless. Hi everybody, you're joined uh, with Ocean here again at An Author Angle. So good to be back in the podcast, really cool. Joining me today is a two-time published author, Stacey Noddle. Hello, Stacey. Hi, Ocean. How are you? I'm doing fantastic. I have to say, I'm, I'm, I'm a big fan of your COVID mask. Thank you. Um, <laughs> it's actually my daughter's friend's mask. Well, <laughs> I, I... decided I, I needed something a little more attractive as I was heading out the door. I like the colours. It's good. Thank you. And I'm a big fan. Um, Stacey, you've written two books, and one's called After the Flood, the other one's called Breastless. We'll get into them in a minute. But why writing? Why become an author? It's, for me, it's about pursuing creative living. So I guess it's my mode of transport, if you like, into that world, um, as opposed to being an artist. It's, it's something that I find distracts me from the mundane world and gives me some other focus. So I really write for myself primarily. Where did it come from? Um, it was always there, and I left it. I left it when I left home at six years old, and I went out in the world seeking love and to fit in and I couldn't take couldn't take that creative person with me because she was too embarrassing and she was too difficult and so I left her alone so it was always there and it just took me a long time to find my way back to her okay um I think you know me well enough that I shoot stuff one way Mm -hmm. um you said something there to just immediately trigger Mm -hmm. me you said you'd left home at six years old Mm-hmm. Can you explain that? Oh, I, I went to boarding school at six years old, so physically I left home. Um, Here in Australia? Yes, with the optimism of any six-year-old that the world would love me. Right. And it turned out that I felt it would only love me if I behaved a certain way. So I think that internal dialogue started very young for me and... So it was a case of, well, unless you're perfect, um, so it's that pursuit of perfection, I suppose, that meant you leave your, your muse, your creative muse behind. And it was only after a cancer diagnosis that I found my way home to that. And since then, I've been unstoppable. That's so good. That's <laughs> I like so good. to write. It, it, it fills me with pleasure. As a career, what do you do? I'm a careers advisor, so I work in a boys' boarding school. Okay. Um, which is ironic, I know, when I spent most bit. of my childhood in boarding school. Yeah. Um, I guess it gives me a good um, sensitivity around the sort of issues that my students would be dealing with. Uh, yeah. Do you do you find uh, the reason I'm asking that question is because you said something that resonates with me a little bit, which is about we're born creative, and through the first 15 years of our life, we go through the education system and we are taught or shown what we should become and how we should become. 
And through that journey, I feel that um, the creative uh, focus is actually diminished in the education system. They put more emphasis on other means of study, such as English, math, science, go to university, do this, go ahead and, 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 and have that career. I'm totally against that. I think that the creative expression beats depression, and I think it's a very powerful means of communication. Um, did you feel that when you got back into your writing, and granted, okay, it came after cancer, but did you feel that you were reconnecting with yourself as a six-year-old again? Was there yes, that? Yes, absolutely. Yeah? I felt that I was whole again. Really? After a long time away. I felt I'd gone a long time away, and I was back as a complete person again. And I think I did a post on Facebook yesterday which is about dance being as important as maths and I was a maths teacher for many years. Oh, this is so, so good. Um, yeah, it was, it was like dance, art, it, it's about being whole and complete as a human being. Um, working in careers, I often ask my students, do you consider yourself creative? And it's about 50-50 and I'm not sure whether it's a genetic, a gene maybe that some people have and some don't, um, but there'll be some aspect of everybody that perhaps they've left behind and they need to find their way home too if they're not feeling joy because I think life is joy. Oh, so with you on that. We're in this world as, as young people, as children, and we dance, we play, we sing, we have no boundaries, the restrictions and boundaries that are imposed on us come from you know our parents and our educators and you know, don't touch that, it's hot sort of thing. Mm-hmm. And we're so free in our thinking and I think that's the embodiment of creativity. Mm-hmm. And it's sad to think later in life in this, you know, you're right on the ground roots of this as a careers advisor, where you were saying 50% of the people feel that they may not be creative, but it's an inherent in all of us mm. in some way. Mm. It's just a case of how we find it, isn't it? Yeah, and it's just about creating, and it doesn't necessarily have to be something traditional. No. You know, it could be model trains or basket weaving, or it's, it's about our innate human ability to make things. And for me, I'm... I'm making things, but in my head, not yeah. not with my hands. Well, and, and obviously through publishing and and being able to put stories out into the world, you know, you're you're able to allow people an insight into who you are as a creative and who you are as a person. And hopefully, through some of what they read through there, that they're inspired, they're they're changed, or they they can resonate with some of what you've written about. So let's talk about what you've written, and we'll start with after the flood. What's after the flood about? Give us give us a bit. Yeah. Of... Okay. So I wrote after the flood. So in my pre-cancer world, when I didn't feel whole, um, not in any universe would I ever have written and published a book because my internal dialogue would have said, you're not good enough to do that. Unless you're good, what's the point? Um, So after the flood for me is something that's very dear to me because it's it's me doing what I naturally want to do and get joy from. It started as a short story about grief in a child. So I had done some work with children and grief and I had noticed a student at my school, happy little fellow, but I could just tell something was off with him. And when I inquired, I found out that his sister had passed away from cancer. Oh, my. And so I wrote a short story about that because I often find the best way for me to process is to write. And I had this little fellow off a sheep station out west 
who was dealing with extraordinary grief. And then I took an 18 year old girl who was also experiencing a different kind of grief. Her grief was loss of family, really. She didn't have a stable family life. She had a mother with mental health problems. And then I put these two children together to see what would happen. So I hadn't really planned the whole novel from day one. I just had these two characters that were both dealing with grief. But when I put them together, they more or less told the story themselves. Wow. Um, they're left alone on a sheep station. The parents are both away and the girl is there to take care of the little boy. Um, there's a flood, um, people die. There's a lot of trauma. Um, and then the book really is told in two timelines. So it's what happened to these children as children on the station, but it's also their life in 25 years time and how their lives come back together. Wow, it sounds like a coming of age story. I actually feel emotional just telling you about it. I can it. see. Every time I read it, I, I cry. <laughs> and a few people, um, quite a lot of my readers have just do the same. In fact, they get teary when they talk about it because I think the characters in it are so real and so powerful. Well, they come um, from an authentic place. I think so, yeah. So it makes it more relatable for the reader. Mm. They can kind of connect with it more. Yeah. And like with coming, a coming-of-age story, which does sound like this this is an element, um, it, it's just so timely for, for the world that we live in at the moment. Mm. So I think that, And you've had some great feedback on it, haven't you? Yeah, I think... Um, well, I'm not sure. Like, a lot of people tell me they just loved it. Like... And, and with, with emotion, mm. this one woman, I could hear her screaming out my name and she came up to me all angrily and she said, oh, I've got a bone to pick with you. <laughs> she said, I found your book in, in the bookshop, in the book tree, and I haven't slept. <laughs> <laughs> so it is a bit of a page turner and, and the feedback is really, really good. That's so um, good. Yeah, yeah, it might not be everyone's cup of tea. And um, I find if it's not, well, that's okay. Those people haven't told me they hate it. No. But um, people have really been quite emotional. Um, one, one woman said to me, you know, I understand. So the main female character is Wilhelmina and she's called Willis or Willie as a child. And she said, I know her because she's me. Oh, that's brilliant. You know, I know, I understand why she behaved the way she did. She was, you know, living a life that just wasn't true to herself. Far out. That, that's their authenticity because mm. these, these characters came from a place of truth. And mm. that's what I mean. It's so relatable when you can write uh, a story around uh, people that actually have impacted you. And, mm. and all of a sudden there is going to be a, a large portion of your readership that will immediately connect with those characters. Yeah. And you, you know what? There's a, you cannot write a book for everybody. Mm. You know, you said before, you know, it's not everyone's cup of tea. And I mean, like, uh, I've written three books. I can tell you now there's no way there's a, <laughs> that that's appealing for everybody. Yeah. But and I, that's okay. That's like, good. I've, I've got to that point where I'll, I'll think about it contemplate it, create it, yep. release it, and then it's done. That's right. And I'm absolutely fine with how it's received. Um, I don't think... I don't think... If we depend on our audience for our own healing and growth, I don't think writing would work for me. Uh -huh. I, I have to have that complete, and then I release it, 
and then it's really the reader's choice whether they enjoy it or not. Well, I mean, there's some catharticism with that because I think, you know, if you're looking at these two characters that you're talking about and, you know, these came from, from true experiences, I think that there's, there's a level of pain that you would feel for those those kids mm. at that time and mm. it's a way of you like you said it's a way of you processing the information in a in a, in a, way, a positive way mm. um and look if it turns out to be a book and it turns out to have impact on people in a positive light that's that's fantastic mm. and that's that's all we can hope for yeah. you know i look at every book that's ever published or every, any book that i've ever been involved in and in being published and no matter what genre, no matter why it's been brought into this world, if it can help one person shift their mindset in a mm. more productive and positive way, then the author has achieved what they've wanted to achieve. Yeah. Do you agree with that? Yeah, absolutely. Well, let's talk about this new book. Let's talk about Breastless. It's a bit of a self-explanatory title. It is. I don't have any boobs, that's for sure. Um, so Breastless is a memoir. And a memoir, it's not the story of my life. A lot of people misjudge what a memoir is. Mm -hmm. So I I guess there were a couple of aspects about putting this book together. A lot of the content I wrote while I was undergoing active cancer treatment. Really? And I used the words, they say when you get cancer you go on a journey. And there's no journey in the physical realms that I was going on because I was too ill. So I used words to go on my journey and I explored a lot of things and I did go back and visit that time in my childhood where I felt I separated from myself Um, and I talk about those boarding school experiences in the book but I only include stories and anecdotes that specifically relate to that idea of how I changed as a result of cancer I think you know when a doctor gives you a diagnosis and says you've got cancer it's the universe's way of giving you an invitation, should you be brave enough to take it, to go on a journey. And for me, my mode of transport, as I said, is words. And I wrote and wrote and wrote. And then so good. I put that into this memoir. It's, it's quite a different kind of book in that it's, there's lots of quotes. At no stage in the book do I tell anybody else what to do. Um, it's about just sharing this is how it was for me and these were my thoughts and emotions this is how I feel that I changed and then let other people draw their own conclusions in relation to their own lives so I think what I find is um, it's a story that's specifically to me but a lot of those feelings are common to everyone they would be shared especially in that set of circumstances and so when i send it to a number of people to get early endorsements i got phone calls and they would talk to me for an hour or two one lady from melbourne that i'd sent it to she talked to me for about three hours i was at the bunyan mountains and i was on the phone (laughs) and it just sort of gave her the key And even though she'd never had cancer, it gave her the key to her own story. It almost was like it gave her permission to share her story because she felt that commonality between my experiences and how I felt about myself. A lot of it's to do with my internal dialogue, what I, how I thought about myself before cancer and then how I think about myself now. Well, it poses a very interesting question. First off, that, that lady in Melbourne is identifying exactly what I said before about uh, changing one person. 
Okay. So now my my question here is, who was Stacey before cancer compared to who is Stacey now? Yeah. So Stacey before cancer, she she thought the world would value her if she worked really hard and diligently at her roles. So if you asked her who she was, she would say, I'm a mother, or I'm a wife, or I'm a teacher, I'm a careers counsellor. And that was how she thought the world would judge her. So she had this, um, I talk about in the book, the committee in my head, and they would invariably tell me that I wasn't good enough and people didn't like me, so I should just shut up. I, I sort of felt I didn't have a voice in the world. And I think that was the big move. Like, people who know me would think cancer didn't change me because I'm still married to Richard and I still live in Hunt Street. I still work at Twomper Grammar School. None, none of those things changed. But it was more internal where now I just have this cheer squad in my head. So the committee in my head, rather than saying I'm dumb and I should go home and not do anything, it's just saying, you go, girl. You get out there and do it. Do you... Uh, um, the, the careers advisor role... Yeah. That's very close to, to what I would define as a mentor to young children coming out of um, school. And the role that you have is pivotal, one of the most pivotal at, at any educational department because you're guiding... Yeah. and advising mm-hmm. uh, young people into potentially where their next step in life is going to be. Yeah. That's a huge responsibility. Mm. How has that changed post-cancer, specifically that part of your, your life and, your, your, and what makes Stacey Stacey? I actually don't know that I've changed that much from a work perspective. I think I always had that sensitivity around young people and I always take that work extremely seriously. You know, there's a a huge investment in trust Mm. when people speak to you. A lot of it's hidden work. So I've always strived to really make sure that the young men, when they leave my office, walk a little taller and feel a little more empowered. And I think a lot of that may go back to the experiences that I'd had myself while I was in boarding school. So I'm not entirely sure that I've changed a lot I think that interest in creative souls was always there I love anyone who's different I love difference and and diversity is that what attracted you to us (laughs) (laughs) I think what attracted me to this to Ocean Reef Publishing was that I I wanted it to be a joyful experience good and I wanted to learn and I think my learning has been you know, out of this world. I, I, my whole approach and my thoughts around why I'm doing what I'm doing have really developed and evolved oh, that's so since good. I had that relationship. Um, yeah, I digressed a bit, a little, little bit there, but yes. I, I want to. I just, I remember, and this is common for most people. It, when you look back at your time at school, you remember those those educators, those teachers, or those mentors that were. Um, that were impactful to you in a positive way. And I remember a guy called Mr. Costello, and he was my careers advisor. And uh, he, I mean, I'd always planned to go to, to be to be a teacher. It was to go to Teachers College and, and be an educator. And I remember Mr. Costello actually 
he always challenged me on my thoughts there. And mm. it's not because I don't think he felt that I couldn't be a great teacher. Mm. I think he just wanted me to be real with about the choices that I made. Mm. And I and I remember his name because he that challenge is something that I constantly mm. do to my family, mm. to my friends, mm. to my colleagues, to you yeah. guys as authors. Yeah. And it meant a lot to me. Have you got people in... Uh, your life uh, through your work that you've done as a careers advisor that have come back to you and said thank you and, and yeah it, absolutely yeah. and yeah very often you know you don't realize the impact that your work has until years and years later and then you'll hear you changed my life I was out walking with my friend last week and um, this man approached me and said are you Mrs Nottle and I said yes and he said oh I just want to tell you um, thank you. My oh, really? son is so incredibly happy. Oh, really? And I remembered this boy because his parents had this preconception that he would study an academic program and go to university. Right. And it was about really counselling. I guess there's a few agendas at play and it was about trying to counsel them to work out the best pathway forward for the child and the father said he's actually in his final year of his, I think it was diesel fitting or um, apprenticeship. And he said he's just loving it and he's oh, so happy. So, good. so, you know, it's quite rewarding because I sometimes say to parents, sit and watch your child while I speak to your son, watch their energy and you know, there was a case where the parents were adamant their very, very bright son was going to study engineering, but he wanted to do music production. And I said, just let me talk to him about both of those and you watch. Yeah, watch the and shift. Yeah, and, you know, it was probably two years later that the mother wrote me a very long letter just saying how grateful she was that I had shown them. So I didn't actually tell them just said watch watch him and we talked about his music production and it just brought him alive there was so much joy in him when we talked and so I said just because he's getting A's in maths doesn't make him an engineer no and I think um, I mean as parents you have this you always have aspirations for what you want your children to do and I think as time's gone on it's become more consistent that you just want them to be happy mm-hmm. um but there is a, you can see it in their face. And I was talking to somebody this morning before the podcast got underway um, about my daughter. She's 28 years old. Yeah. And throughout maybe the last, well, until she got about 25, 26, she had no idea what she wanted to do with her career. And I was always supportive of whatever choices she wanted to make and whatever direction she wanted to go. I would help make that happen. Uh, and so when we got to the Gold Coast, I put her into a makeup school because she was quite into that side of things. And over the course of a few years, she found her her space in beauty therapy. And now when you talk to her about this, she just lights up. Mm. And like I have mm. no desire to understand anything about cosmetic or beauty therapy. It's just not in my wheelhouse, Stacey. But mm. to see my daughter light up like that, there's mm. a piece of magic right there. It's that open-heartedness where you can share in their joy without really understanding what they're talking yeah. about. Yeah, and and you do, you yeah. do, you do. Yeah. And there's other stories which will be left for another day. Um, what is something that becoming, well, I guess you've already highlighted on this, but I'll just I'll dig a little deeper. What is something that becoming an author has done that you didn't expect? Um, 
doing podcasts for one. <laughs> um, you know, I love my day job. I really do, and I've loved it for a long, long time. But I think I'm starting to look at, well, what's my identity post that? So I'm starting to develop a whole new skill set. Um, I know about Vox Pops and yes. various things like that. So I, I think I'm quite surprised at how much. Like, for example, a few people in my life love podcasts. Yeah. My niece, my brother, they say, oh, yeah, and they're always excited. And I tried to listen to podcasts. Hello, Stacey's niece and Stacey's um. brother. I know you're listening. <laughs> Um, and I'd, I'd tried to listen to podcasts, but I found my mind just drifted off. Well, they mustn't have been engaging enough. Well, then I discovered podcasts that involved interviews with artists yes. and authors. And now I'm a big podcast <laughs> fan because um, I've found, you know, something that fills me with interest and joy in life. I, I just I find that whole idea of the creative process and what people go through and I think for too long it's been the realms of the elite you know you've been seen to have talent so you can you can cross the threshold into the creative world and the rest of you need to go away now because you don't have any talent and it's not like that at all so I I find I'm more open-hearted often um you know, you you would hear someone's excitement about something, and I I would almost feel, I don't know, a little mean-hearted sometimes. Oh, well, that that won't work. They're not very good, you know. And now, I feel like if someone shows me something they've created, it doesn't matter if I think it's good or bad because there is no good or bad. That's the, right. the joy is actually in the creation and in their joy. I'm absolutely so, beaming here in this. You're speaking my language, girl, yeah. because, you know, I think that, um, that... Let's talk about that elite statement for a moment. There was a time, no matter what sort of creative avenue you wanted to go down, you know, especially in the film and television industry and music industry, where you needed to really climb a large, long ladder, and even then you'd probably fall off because it only mm-hmm. happens to one, the 1%. Mm-hmm. Whereas nowadays, and I think technology is allowed for this, um, you have independent artists, you have independent filmmakers, you have independent authors, Mm. and now there's an avenue for them to go, hey, look, I can do this, and I can give it a crack. Hey, I'm not going to be Tom Cruise, and I'm not going to be Mick Jagger, and I'm not going to be J.K. Rowling, I'm going to be me, Mm. and I'm going to do it my way, and I'm going to tell my type of story and and Mm. my type of song. And I think that that ability that this new age of technology and and how the different mediums we can put them out there has opened that up for a lot of people. Mm. Um, I also feel, following on the back of what you said before, that there are always going to be people that are going to say you can't do it. Mm. And most likely they're going to be people you know. Family and friends are Mm. often the biggest naysayers. Mm. And if you within yourself can find your way through that kind of negative talk Mm. uh you actually can build a type of resilience for what's to Mm. come in the public forum Mm. so you know you get in a bad review or you know something like that comes you've actually got the fortitude to be able to take that in stride yeah Yeah. it's okay i mean i i think it's great that people can express themselves Mm -hmm. through social media and and you have haters there i think 
you know, where I draw the line is that it must be done in such a way that you're not hurtful to someone else, you know. And, yep. and I, I think it's what I see in a lot of artists is they're very open-hearted. Very much so. Um, I know my daughter when she was about 12, she's 32 now, she was going to do high ropes at an adventure camp. Okay. And she was telling my friend about it. And she was an, a, a bit of an oddbod that didn't really fit in well. And she had this thing that she was excited about. And my friend was so interested and so overjoyed. And then I said to my friend, do you know about high ropes? And she said, no, I haven't got a clue, but isn't it wonderful? <laughs> and, so and, good. and I think that's it. It's that open-heartedness of experiencing other people's joy. And what I find is the more open-hearted and joyful I become in life, the more people will come on board and engage with, with my journey. Well, it is contagious. I mean, if you, you see people feeling fulfilled and joyful in their creative expression, they're going to want a piece of that. That's and, right. And whether that's to read your book or whether that's to sit down with you or tune into your podcast or whichever yeah. it is, they want a piece. I think so. And and I've got this book launch on the 14th of February. Valentine's Day. As you know, Valentine's I'll Day. I'll be there. All about self-love. And I just, because I think it's such a cool idea and it's going to be so much fun and I'm so excited about it that I just feel like there's this wave of, people coming on board and I, my friend said to me I, I think the reason that you've sold so many tickets and it's it's such a popular event is your enthusiasm for it and so I think all of those things have come on board not it's not like before and after cancer and after cancer I was a different person I'm not wise I still bumble around but I'm learning to move towards my preferred way of living you know, the interesting thing there, Stacey, is that, like, you know, and I absolutely commend people that write and publish material about the challenges they have in their life, and whether that's through abuse, domestic violence, um, health concerns like cancer and whichever, I think that's amazing. But what I've realised sitting here talking to you today is that I've gone away from wanting to talk about the book and I wanted to talk to you more about how, like, you've had chords with me about creative expression. Yeah. And, you know, I just think it's absolutely essential that people listening and, and if you do get the opportunity to meet Stacey in your travels, please stop, talk to her and, and, and get her insight on this because it's immensely powerful how important creativity plays in our role no matter what part of life we're in and no matter what we've been through. And I think that, to me, is, is that's how you represent yourself. You yes. do not represent yourself as a cancer survivor or anything no. like that. You come across as this naturally creative individual who kind of gets a bit of a kick out of being free-thinking. Mm, absolutely. I yeah, love that. Absolutely. And, um, yeah, so I'm not really writing Breastless as a cancer survivor story. No. I'm writing it as a way that I found to become more complete with and happy with myself and to change those voices in my head that told me I wasn't good enough. You know, they told me I would die. <sighs> they said, You're, you, other people survive because they're more loved than you or they're um, richer or whatever, you know, but you'll probably die. You're not going to survive this. And I needed to change that. So cancer was the catalyst, I suppose. 
but um, like you said before, it's the universe giving you that uh, opportunity. That invitation, yeah, the invitation, yeah. yeah. And and now I'm so excited because I'm living a life that makes me happy. Yeah, yeah. you can tell. You mm. can tell. I can see you smiling through the microphone <laughs> shield there. It's so good. Yeah. It's so good. Okay, I've got another question for you. What? What? If you could turn back time and talk to your eighteen-year-old uh, self, what would you say to her? From what you've learned in life to date, and take on board what you've just been saying to me today about you know creativity and the yeah. voices and, and yeah. listening to the inner dialogue. Yeah, it's interesting you say that. When I was writing, writing, writing during my cancer treatment, I did a thing called The Artist's Way. I'm not sure if you've heard I'm of by Julia Cameron. Yep. And you write morning pages. And so every morning I would get up and I would write three pages. It was just my routine. And it didn't matter what I wrote. There was no censoring or perfection needed. And one of the tasks was to write a letter to myself from my 80-year-old self. So my 80-year-old self was writing to my current self. Okay. And, you know, I think when you put stuff like that into the universe, it has this strange way of coming true. Like, I wrote to myself that I would publish eight books. So this is number two. (laughs) <laughs> so I can't die yet because I've got some, got more, plenty I've more, got to write. some more books to write. Um, but it was really specific and it was interesting. And I guess I prefer that to what would I tell my 18-year-old yeah. self because my 18-year-old self would not have listened to me because I needed to learn things the hard way. Not well put, I wasn't, I wasn't one to take advice and I'm still not. <laughs> I, I like to figure things out for myself. But, Fair enough. But looking ahead at my 80-year-old self, yes, it was very interesting. You know, she said, I will have grandchildren one day and I need to keep my flexibility up because I want to sit on the floor and play with them. Oh, nice. It was very specific. What's the next book then? Well, I don't know entirely. I have... I really like speculative fiction. Okay. And I have two that are semi written and I love them both and every time I get them out and read them I go oh this is so exciting um I can see the power in writing real life stuff yeah definitely so I have an idea also to do with a book almost like a book of short stories but it's on perspective and I have all these stories that I'm gathering that relate to how different your truth is only your truth and everybody has a different truth because we all have different history. And so it's some stories around that. Um, I'll give you an example. I, I, I have this thing where I went to Yellowstone National Park two years ago and the bison were migrating back up into the valley. And I was thinking, you know, the trees have to stay there all winter they can't migrate like the bison so the bison are thinking that all those trees are pretty rigid they they don't they're not flexible like us they can't flow in and out of the valley depending on the seasons and the trees were looking at the bison thinking those bison are pretty inflexible they can't adjust to the changing seasons they have to move in and out so that was sort of the um, premise, I suppose, for this idea of stories about perspective. It's just, 
looking at something from two completely different perspectives. That's intriguing. And yeah, so that and the name for that is sometimes I see the moon as a whole, as in a H O L E. Oh. So rather than looking at it in oh. the sky and thinking oh. of it as a solid piece, you see it actually as a whole. Oh, and that that's just a perspective. So yeah, so I've got that one. So I've got a few. My head doesn't stop coming up with ideas. Well, that's because you're a naturally creative soul, which is fantastic. <laughs> Knowing that, what is the best tip to others that you could give if they're thinking about writing, if they're thinking about becoming an author? Yeah, so above and beyond everything else is that idea that if you want to write, you should write. It's not about being a good writer or being a famous writer. It's, it's nothing to do with that. It's, it's about you feeling that joy that comes from that complete escape from, from the mundane world, you know. It, it comes from that creative expression. And mm. it's a joyful thing. So I think, you know, do it. Oh, man. Um, put the perfectionism aside. I mean, I'm a born perfectionist, as you probably know, I'm working with me on a book. Well aware. Things have to be done right. But... Put the perfectionism aside, take the judgment away, and just do it. I think that's incredibly powerful. And, you know, um, perfectionism is not something that comes hand in hand with creativity. Uh, It's a trial and error thing. And I think, you know, that's part of the journey. It's so exciting Mm. to actually find what works and what doesn't as a writer, as an artist, Mm. as a musician, whatever it is. Um, I'm learning the guitar at the moment. And for years, like I'm 45, for years I've always wanted, I'd love to be able to play an instrument. And I don't know what it has been in the last, it's got nothing to do with COVID or anything, because I've got enough to do with, with what I do here. But there's just been something in me that said, I'm going to do this. Mm-hmm. And right now I could, I could pick up a guitar, I could probably play you three songs, they're pretty basic. <laughs> but, um, you know, it's trial and error. Yeah. I, I sound like absolute shit sometimes, I really do. But it's so good to be able to achieve a few yeah. things, you know, in, in that yeah. space for me. And it's, it's not good or bad, it's the joy of the doing, the joy of the creative <sighs> life, I think, that is the really important thing to, to remember. Yes. And... I think, look, I think if if someone was sitting in that world of I'm, mm, I'm just not good enough or coming up with that those excuses, I would read Elizabeth Gilbert's Big Magic. Right. I think her philosophies on creativity just gel with mine so perfectly. Um, she has a podcast called Magic Lessons. Um, I was just driving in here listening to her speak to Neil Gaiman, who's one of my favourite writers, and... He said, really, perfectionism is like the horizon. You'll never reach it. No. You'll never get there. And um, she's about also taking that responsibility off writing. So have a day job so that the joy stays in it. Nice. If you become a professional writer, it's just like having a job. It's like the job you had before and you need to keep it as your plaything. Nice, I like yeah, that. It's really, really good. So I actually just wrote it down. I want yeah, to check that Elizabeth out. Elizabeth Gilbert, Big yeah, Magic. Magic Lessons. She's the lady that wrote um, Eat, 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 Pray, Pray, Pray love. love. Right, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. I want to listen um, to the podcast. That sounds intriguing. The podcast is brilliant. And oh, it's nice. there's two seasons of it. So she published that book in 2016. And then since then she's done two seasons. And not all the people... Like she inter- interviews Brene Brown. Who's oh, really? Fabulous... Um, Oh, what's her name? Uh, 
well, I can't think of her name, but you'd probably know her. But she also introduced new um, new authors. The Good. one I was listening to, she published her first book, was quite successful, and then she got stuck. And so she talks them through that as well and gives them strategies for keeping being creative. Oh, that's so good. And, yeah. and it's great that there's a lot more resources out there now to um, guide people through mm. these challenges and creative expression. And um, I, 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 again, I'm so grateful. I've had 25 years in this mm. in this creative industries mm. in film and television and, and now in publishing. And uh, I do recognise, and I have probably for the last five or six years, recognised how fortunate I've been to be mm. in this space. Well, the reality is, Ocean, creative people are just more fun. They are. <laughs> I still wear a bloody Superman T-shirt every day. That's and right. I, 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 did a, uh, I got to work this morning. What time was it? I was here at half past three. Yeah, half past three. And I did an Instagram about the two best days of your life. The first, um, the first day that was awesome was the day you were born, and the second day was when you realised why you were here. Yeah. And I, I think when you when yeah. you've got that, when you know your purpose and you know your why and you're living it, uh, it's just so satisfying. And yeah. it's you actually end up taking every other experience you've got you, you have mm-hmm. in life and every other person that you've got a, an interaction with, and you treat that with way more respect than you would have in the past yeah. Yeah. because you value it all yeah. more. And I have, I have this. Mo- I just want to go back to this guitar thing for a minute because I have this most um, conscious thought when I'm driving home. Like I have my habit that I formed many years ago when I would drive to work, and I've re-engaged that since we've been here. And going home, I look back on everything that I've done today, and I go, "Can I put my head on the pillow and know I did good stuff? Have I given people a bit of something of ocean that they can walk yeah. away with and go, I feel good." You know, mm. and and every day I do. Yesterday, Stacy, I had this amazing day. It was so awesome, and I got home. <laughs> this is a little bit embarrassing to admit, but I got home. I picked up my guitar. I put my foot on the table. I looked at my wife, and I just started playing a, a Creedence Clearwater Revival song. I'm doing my best to play it, and she's sitting there laughing at me. Yeah. And I think that is moments like that as a growing professional. Mm. Uh, four kids all growing mm. to be able to be that little Peter Pan mm. for just you know mm. it matters you asked me earlier why Ocean Reef Publishing and this is exactly why oh. you know I go home at the end of the day and I get that buzz if I've helped someone you, you see their body language change mm. you see that shift in the way they think about themselves or their future and it's an incredible buzz, and I get it from writing. So, you know, I rang you and spoke to you for about an hour about right. coming on board here. And it's it's about finding finding people to work with whose values are in alignment with yours. You know, your ships are moving in the same direction. Oh, it's so true. And, like, what I love, before we went on this podcast, everybody, we were just talking about the launch, and, and I was giving Stacey the list of uh, the team here that are going to be attending. And what I loved was, uh, so Superman, Flash, Deadpool, <laughs> Thor, all the superheroes are getting down. And, you know, every, majority of people know that this whole superhero concept within Ocean Republishing is actually about hope, faith, belief and community. And we want the authors to feel that they are part of something bigger than just a fly-by-night experience, mm. that it's actually a relationship, it's a family. And, you know, this journey goes on well past the moment that your book is published. It goes on and on until you say you've had enough. What excites me about this conversation is that 
I'm going to be working with you until you're 80 years old. Yeah, that's that's right. really bloody cool. <laughs> that's funny, isn't it? Um, and talking about why you have superhero names, there's a quote that is sort of guiding me with the launch. It's by Terry Windling, and it's community, friendship, art. Weave together, they make powerful magic. It can save your life. I know it saved mine. And that's sort of where, why we're having the art auction and we're having all this other stuff around creativity, not just a book launch. So we've got 20-odd pieces of artwork that artists have donated because when I tell them what I'm doing, they burst into tears and say, of course I'll paint something for you. That's amazing. Yeah, and, and it's because it's that idea of the power of community, friendship and art. That is so powerful. Um, and I think... You know, I rang my uncle very early in my tr cancer treatment and to get advice and he said, stay in contact with the people that you love. And this whole community just, I realised, I always felt like I was alone in the world. Oh, I think you've seen. And I've come through now and realised I'm actually part of this amazing community. I think you're a leader. I yeah. think you're a creative leader in all essence of the word. Um, I've taken a long time to come to that realisation in myself, but I can definitely spot it in other people. As I said, I came on, I, I brought you into this podcast today to talk about Breastless, to talk about the journey that this book was going to go on. Yeah. It basically <laughs> became about creative expression. I yeah. think it's been way more powerful because yeah. we've really got to see who you are and what you represent. And yeah. I again, I know I've said this before, guys, if you get an opportunity to meet this woman or go to her website, your website is stacynoddle.com. Uh, yeah. Go and check that out. Go and check out her books. Reach out to her. Just have a conversation. That's the first thing I would suggest you do, especially if you're finding that you've got barriers or hurdles to overcome your own way of expressing yourself. Because you do it for a living. At the end of the day, you're a careers advisor, but you're one that taps into the soul of the person you're talking yeah. to. And that experience you had that you mentioned with the parents, and you just said, watch how the kid, mm. uh, watch how they change when they see them talking about it. Yeah. That is just the most organic way to find somebody's passion. Yeah. You're an absolute creative leader at the at the essence Aww, of what that represents. Thank you, Ocean. <laughs> That's nice. That now look, I've gone over my time. I'm gonna okay. have to, we're gonna wrap. You're this not up. going to edit me, are you? I'm not gonna edit it. <laughs> I could sit here and keep talking, but I, I'm oh. mindful of the time. Okay, um, Stacey, I want to say thank you so much for coming down and being a part of this podcast. It really does give a different spin, a different angle on what it means to be an author and what it means to be a creative. Thank you. All good, and we'll see you guys next time on an author angle. You have been listening to an author angle. Brought to you by Ocean Reef Publishing, bringing stories to life. www.oceanreefpublishing.com